We're starting a new series we did so this morning. We'll follow morning and evening looking at some of the major encounters that uh, David had with God and also the context that surrounded those and the people of Israel. Uh, And tonight we're dipping in after this morning to um, 1 Samuel chapter 15 and 16, not reading both chapters, but I'll refer to 16 on the basis of what we have read in chapter 15. So let us um, consider God's word together as we read it. Beginning at verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telem. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Saul went to the city of uh, Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you show kindness to all the Israelites when they come up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I am grieved that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled. And he cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. 
And he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you not pounce on the plunder and and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in the obeying voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and accordance and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people and give in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He, who is the glory of Israel, does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Amen. May God bless us. The reading of this word. Children may leave us for children for activities. Let us pray together. Our heavenly Father, speak to us through your word this evening. Challenge our hearts. May you grow in stature in our minds. May we decrease. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. What we're going to hear fundamentally affects our life. Out of all the challenges that are brought against Christians... Perhaps this is the subtle one that we can so quickly justify. A soul-searching question. Have the wrong answer to this. Our lives can take a totally wrong direction. Have it in its proper perspective then hopefully we can grow closer to the Lord. The most earth-shattering rejections of Jesus was when they cried out, we will not have this man rule over us. We will not have this man rule over us. So if this man is not going to rule over you, 
who is going to reign in your life. Because you cannot exist without a king. You cannot exist without someone that you will worship. And therefore, if you displace this man from your life, you invite someone or something else into it in his place. That was the old picture of idolatry. And whilst it's an old picture of idolatry, it's an exceptionally contemporary difficulty. Someone will rule. Someone will reign. Way back in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 18, it says, from verse 17, You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you have made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Long before Israel thought about putting a human monarch on an earthly throne, they had already accepted that his reign was both eternal and present in their history. He was not just a king who ruled the universe, but a king who had established a people. A people being delivered. A people being formed. A people being led. A people being provided for. And yet as we looked at this morning, when God is not enough, Someone else has to fill his place. And though God had warned against them being like the other nations, devising a monarchy to protect them, because he was their protector and provider, he then outlined to them, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, some of the difficulties that they would encounter if they put a human king in place. And at the very start of that kingship role, we can see that God was right. Because Samuel, who had been appointed by God with all the responsibilities that this kingship should be based on according to Deuteronomy chapter 17. God was not endorsing their decision, but through his gracious providence and provision would instruct them how if a king remained close to God, that his blessing could still remain upon them. But it was very much dependent now on how that human king would operate. Because if you give away a theocracy where God is ultimately in control, you create a monarchy and a democracy of where people can actually be in control. And Samuel was the first person who anointed a king. And that king was to be Saul. But we notice in verse 17, if you keep your Bibles open, some of the difficulties that this kingship brought about. 
In verse 17, Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? Though you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become a king? And Samuel, in your heart of hearts, wasn't that your problem? You couldn't handle it. You have been left with a huge responsibility. And with that responsibility also can be pride. And with pride and a perception that you are now someone of importance, you can be addicted to power and privilege. And Samuel said to Saul, you're actually weak. And deceived. And what did we notice? What mistakes did he make? Well, the first one was that what God pointed out was true. Whilst they had been a theocracy under the direction of God, God only needed, and as he would prove later on with Gideon, a very small number of people if they were obedient to God. 300 could take on 300,000 and there would not be a hair on anyone's head harmed if God was in control. And in verse 4 we read, So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telem, 200,000 foot soldiers And 10,000 men from Judah. He had constructed an army that he thought would be appropriate in size to be able to defeat the Amalekites. The expenditure of doing so, the risk involved, the maintenance of such military, the training required. All of that was coming and would come eventually at the expense of the Israelites. Someone had to pay for it. And someone was about to pay for Saul's disobedience. Because into that mix, God had said, I want you to destroy everyone, even the cattle, the livestock, cattle and sheep, Camels and donkeys. But then, what do we read happened? In verse 9, But Saul and the army spared Agag, so they spared someone that they shouldn't, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, and everything that was good. These they were willing to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. And then Samuel challenges him in verse 14. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Then Saul defers taking responsibility as king, as ruler, and says that 
the soldiers were those that took them. Verse 15, Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord, but we totally destroyed the rest. Look what he's doing here in the terminology that he uses. Those that made the mistake were the soldiers, not me. And those things that we did in response to the command God gave us, we totally destroyed the rest. I am not part of the blame, the soldiers are, but I am part of the success of what God was doing because we destroyed the rest. Saul is already beginning to abdicate his role when it is not going according to a prophet's instruction or a revelation from God. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. And then he begins, although you were once small in your own eyes. But then again, he remonstrates with Samuel in verse 20. And he says, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went On the mission the Lord assigned me to, I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel said, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in the obeying of the voice of the Lord. See, here was Samuel's, here was Saul's difficulty. Saul thought as king that his decisions were above God's decisions. That he could actually sit on the throne of judgment as to what was the right thing to do and the most appropriate thing to do in the circumstances. And when the soldiers came back with the cattle and the best of the sheep, he decides how he's going to worship the God that he has already disobeyed. In order to appease this God who told me to do something different, I will use our plunder as an opportunity to continue to worship God by providing the best of sacrifices possible because these are the best of the sheep and they can be offered to God as a sacrificial offering. And God says to Samuel, that's why I didn't want a king. Because I knew, even if I appointed him as such, that he would grow so much in his own stature that he would decide that his decisions were better than mine. And that he would rework the very situation to attempt to promote my glory when I don't want the offerings that he is giving me. Those offerings are a stench to me because they are his human offering, not an offering of obedience. That's the offering I want from Saul, an obedient life. 
And we say, not his all. Why did he just not do what the Lord had told him to do? For the very same reason that we don't. Very same reason. We are no different than King Saul. It's a straightforward observation. Have you done everything the Lord has asked you to do? Yeah, I have. Okay. Have you done it in the right way? Every act of obedience, has it been a humble submission to God or an angry obligation? When you have been annoyed, frustrated, upset, but yet you know you still must obey. Has there not been some element, some tinge of self-interest? Or indeed when we have fulfilled every obligation, we have grown in our own stature. You once started very small, Saul, but now you head the tribes of Israel. It's a question that we all must address to ourselves at various times. Simply because we disobey God doesn't mean we should sing louder or bounce higher or raise our hands as if we are giving Him everything that we possess if we know it's not true in the lives that we lead. God doesn't want just raised hands. He wants submitted hearts. He wants us to realize that ultimately, ultimately obedience is better than sacrifice. Why? Because it reveals who's on the throne. It reveals truly who reigns in our lives and how humble we are to accept our callings. So who do you want to reign over you? Who do I want to reign over me? What decisions do I still have to make that fall in line with His Word? What areas of conduct do I need to change in order to demonstrate my commitment to Him? What finances do I need to release in order to demonstrate to God that money is not reigning over my decisions and my conduct? What time do I have to sacrifice in order to make sure that I'm in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What moral decisions do I need to make or behaviors do I need to change to make sure that this God is not displaced or dishonored in my life? All of those are fundamental decisions that Samuel was bringing to Saul. How are you living, Saul? Because as I see it, the Lord cannot delight in any of your burnt offerings. And you have rejected the word of the Lord. And as a consequence, He has rejected you as king. 
It is a sad reflection on the monarch. But yet they needed a king because that's what they wanted. And we're confronted with the second of our considerations. The unlikely people that God chooses. History was in the past. The future still had to unfold. Who was going to be the next king of Israel? And so we read that story that we know even from our early childhood. Let's begin in verse, uh, in chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elab and they thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then we read the story unfolding and they bring them together and Samuel isn't convinced. He says, is there anyone else? He said, well, I just have a a son out in the fields who's looking after sheep and says, bring him to me. And as soon as David arrived, the Lord had spoken. And he was to be anointed as the future king of Israel. There's a story in that for each one of us. Obedience. Samuel was seeking to obey the Lord even when naturally In the natural realm, he had a picture of what this servant of God, this new monarch, should look like. And when God clearly stated that that wasn't the case, that he shouldn't be looking in outward appearances, that prompting in his heart meant that he had to look elsewhere, believing that God still had someone chosen for this particular situation. And in from the fields was brought just a young boy who didn't have the physical appearance of a future king, though handsome. Who had no way of knowing 
whether he would physically develop into the type of leader that would be required in Israel. Yet God says to Samuel, that's the one. Without any evidence, without any proving himself in the arena, without any historical records that could be brought together with a CV to say this is what he has accomplished thus far. Therefore, you should have every confidence in him. But without all of that, because God ruled over Samuel's life and therefore his perceptions, his persistence, and his submission. At that moment, Samuel was able to foresee a future king that had been directed to him by the Lord. And what does that say to us this evening? We are very quick to judge life by its appearances and to evaluate how much we should follow God depending on the risk factor involved. Lord, if I am truly to follow you, this will mean that I will have to give up this and this and that. And can I, when I look at my bank balance, truly afford to do this? Lord, if we are to trust you, that means we might even have to move from our current situation. What about the lives of our children, if we have any? What about the handing in of the resignation at our place of employment? Without any true guarantee of what lies in front of us. All of those questions are very real and natural questions to possess. But it depends who's reigning over us, what our perceptions of our circumstances are going to be. The most unlikely of circumstances that are going to be conducive to your development and your spiritual nourishment might indeed be the very very situation that you flourish as a believer. If you go there, commanded, instructed, and obedient to the Lord. And the times of your relative comfort, when all the circumstances of life seem to blend together to your spiritual satisfaction, are the times of the greatest drought that you will experience spiritually. Because you do not have to listen to the Lord or his instructions any longer. You're a servant of your circumstances. And therefore, your circumstances are now reigning in your life. You place them before God, not God before them. And that is the modern idolatry that we all seek to serve human wisdom against that of God's. Our perceptions over His and our withholding for fear that we will not receive. In that little verse that is so easily and readily available to people in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not onto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him 
and he will direct your paths. How is it that we so love to read stories about missionaries that have given up everything and been blessed by God and too frightened to follow their example? We great great joy of reading about them but are never prepared to take the same risk ourselves. We like the comfort of a different king. One that will provide our human protection and provision. But the greatest adventure of faith is when he reigns over us. And he could pick you to be the next adventure of faith. You. In the field. Without much to offer. Without a history that impresses. Without a stature that necessarily gives confidence. And yet it's you. Because when God picks children, they believe that we don't. We have too much to lose and they haven't. He took a young boy, still impressionable, still able to believe, still not clouded by life circumstances or considerations. And said, if you make me king of your life, I can use you for my glory. Are you prepared? Will you give up everything in your walk and pursuit of God? Lay it all down so that he may take you up. What is it that you want to talk about for the remaining years of your life? Everything that you've done or everything that he has done. Everything that you possess or everything that he has given. What is it that excites you most about living and breathing? If God is king, then we are prince and princesses in his monarchy. We are here adopted into his family. Go after him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you might be the most Unlikely of choices for the greatest exploits of faith witnessed within the life of this congregation. Can you imagine him anointing all of us? The power of that symbol of anointing now through the presence and power of his Holy Spirit descending over each one of us to make it possible. Because without God, it isn't. And without God, 
you'll never be satisfied. And without God, your sacrifices are futile. But with God, and with His approval, and with obedience to Him, we can be a majestic testimony to the wonderful power of our King who reigns over all of us. Let us pray. Lord, in your presence, we must decrease and he must increase.